Hello, I'm CM Conway, the filmmaker of the witty and poignant indie, How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood, now on Prime Video, and FunnyFailureFilm.com. On this now monthly podcast, we celebrate funny flubs, bodacious blunders, and miraculous missteps that happen to us as artists. So hone your funny bone and let's get started. Hello, I'm CM Conway, the filmmaker of the witty and poignant indie, How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood, now on Prime Video and FunnyFailureFilm.com. On this show, we celebrate funny flubs, bodacious blunders, and miraculous missteps that happen to us as artists. So hone your funny bone and let's get started. Hello, welcome to the show. We celebrate slip-ups as stepping stones, inspired by our community grassroots indie, How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood, a diverse, inclusive film that is a champion of bold artists and dreamers trying to make it against all odds. The film features two friends and their beautiful friendship and how they make a difference in each other's lives, but it also is a witty and poignant guide to what not to do in the industry, while revealing a treasure trove of insider secrets about Tinseltown. It is inspired by my own fabulous flubs in the industry and years in Los Angeles. And as I mentioned in our first episode, which details more of the journey from script to screen, The experiences that I had haunted me so much that I had to do something about it. And so the novel became a screenplay, which then became a film. Failure has a social stigma. And the film looks it dead in the eye and laughs. And that's what we like to try to do on this show. So if you're an artist and you've had a mishap that's happened in your journey and you'd like to share it on the show, please go to funnyfailurefilm.com and click on share your story. Now, as a filmmaker, artist, and writer, I appreciated the story of our next guest. I'd like to present Antonio Sacre. Thank you, CM. It is so lovely to be on your podcast. My name is Antonio Sacri, and I'm a solo performer and screenwriter living in Los Angeles. In my early 20s, right out of college, I thought I was going to be an actor, and this is what happened. I was auditioning around the city of Los Angeles and getting lots of wonderful roles in non-paying small theater companies, and I was a waiter to support that habit. Well, one day, my roommate, who was also an actor said that there was a theater company that was going to host a general audition where dozens of the small theaters were all going to be in one place. He said it was a chance to get in front of these theaters and to maybe even get hired to do a play. And I showed up at that audition with my best monologues planned and I absolutely crushed it. And I waited for the phone to ring because this is sort of pre-email. And my friend got a bunch of callbacks and I got one callback. Fantastic. They said, yeah, you're not right for anything in our season, but 
Would you consider writing your own monologue for our solo performing late night series, Midnights on Saturday nights? I said, of course. And then I asked my friend, what's a solo performer? (laughs) He helped me figure out and study some of the amazing performers that were there in the day. And I wrote my first monologue. They chose me for the best of series at the end of the fall. And then I was chosen for another series to debut at the New York Festival. And at the New York Festival, I fell into a career as a solo performer. I felt in my element completely. And it was not too long before I had an agent and I had a small theater company in New York wanting to produce one of my shows. And I was able, after a year of pretty hard work, to quit my job as a waiter and live off of the money I was making performing my solo shows around the country. In some ways, my dream of wanting to be an actor led to this passion and career of being a solo performer. Then I met a woman who I fell in love with who was moving to Los Angeles, and I thought, wow, Los Angeles, how hard can it be to do solo shows in Los Angeles? The answer is very hard. In Los Angeles, if you are an actor who doesn't have an agent or can't get an audition, you do a solo show. My first solo show that I opened in Los Angeles, that woman that I was in love with was in the audience, her best friend, my director, and nobody else. (laughs) And it was a disaster. Although those three people thought I did great. So I realized it was fine to be a nationally touring solo performer who could not get an audience in Los Angeles. And ironically, I was able to do the San Francisco Festival, which is another amazing festival. And in San Francisco, a Hollywood producer saw me and said, amazing, we have to do that show for our development space. Back then, many of the major studios on television and some of the film studios as well had these development stages where you got to present your pieces. In order to present your piece, you had to sign a ridiculous contract and you had to sign it all over and they could do whatever they wanted with it. But I did my show for that big producer and all of the executives were there. And we had this meeting high in one of those massive buildings in Hollywood overlooking the whole city. Here I was in my 20s thinking that my career as a solo performer was just starting. I was following in the amazing footsteps of Whoopi Goldberg and Lily Tomlin and John Leguizamo and Eric Bogosian and Spalding Gray, and it was my chance. And they said, that show you did on our space was spectacular. The only thing is we would like you to change the ending and adjust the beginning and fix up the middle. And then we would love to put it in our developmental slot for our network. And I said, yeah, well, the ending is what I carefully crafted as a writer of solo performances. Critics around the country have loved these things, and I think the ending needs to stay. And the executive looked at me and she said, yeah, we kind of think the ending should be changed. You know, a little more funny and a little more silly. I hear you, but my director and I really crafted this piece, and I really think the ending needs to stay the way it is. She says, oh, 
you want to talk to your director about it? I said, no, I think we, we feel great about this. She says, that's excellent. You know what? We love artists with vision. We love directors. We love the theater. Thank you so much. We'll call you. Now, if you know anything about Los Angeles, that will call you. I mean, I thought they would call. I, as a matter of fact, I'm still waiting for the call 20 years later. Uh, and they never called. And I vowed in that moment that if ever given the chance to change my artistic vision, I would. I would do it. You want it to be shorter? I can make it shorter. You want it funnier? It can be funnier. You want it sadder? I'll make it sad. Just tell me what to do. Well, I never got that chance. I still did my solo shows. I was still able to make a living doing it. It was still fulfilling artistically. But there was never a shot where a producer said, can you change it? Until about seven years ago. I did my show in a theater in Hollywood. And this time, more than three people came. At least 12 people were there, including a critic from the local newspaper who wrote a glowing review, which brought a big house the next night, including a Hollywood agent. And I signed with a literary agent. And two weeks later, the wheels on this went super fast. There was an actual writer of a TV show. There was an actual showrunner from a major network who had had 10 years of success on a, on a big TV show. We put together a pitch document and they said all we needed to do is make it into a three-camera sitcom with a laugh track. Which was exactly the opposite of what I thought it was. I thought it was a single-cam, arty, awesome, funny thing. And I looked them square in the eyes and I said, I've always thought of it as a three-camera sitcom with a laugh track. And we made a perfect three-camera sitcom with a laugh track. It was a beautiful presentation. We presented it to a big-time network in Los Angeles. There were handshakes and high-fives and tea, which kind of gave me a weird buzz. And in the elevator afterwards, me and the showrunner and the writer and my agents could not believe it. I said, well, what do we do now? He said, you wait for the check to come so you can cash it. And I waited, and I waited, and I'm still waiting. Totally ghosted, as the kids would say. Never heard from them again. The showrunner told me that is normal, and we had three more meetings anyway, and those meetings went just as amazing, and all three of them had the exact same reaction. When do we sign and cash that check? And none of them came. And the showrunner disappeared. And the writer disappeared, and the agent dropped me, and I was left with a three-camera sitcom show, and I rewrote it into the single-cam show that I really believed in, and I submitted it to a TV writing contest where it placed top 10. And from that, I got a meeting with a manager and another agent, and I met with a producer who is interested in optioning it for a movie. And I waited, and I waited. I got the email saying, here is a contract. 
for a slight possibility of it becoming a movie, but I sold a project and it all came from the ability that I just wasn't quite right as an actor all those years ago. Thank you, Antonio. So this story was so interesting to me because of the twists and turns that are so common in the industry. I had lived in Los Angeles for a number of years and recognized a lot of the funny scenarios that were in the story. And I think many artists, wherever you live and whatever your trade, might recognize and laugh at a lot of the predicaments. There's really nothing like feeling you're so close to something and yet so far away and just being on edge that, oh, it'll happen at any moment, any moment, any moment, any moment, and years go by. And that can really wear you down after many years. But I really like what Antonio spoke about, that in the end, he kept his vision. And it's easy to say, but it can be very difficult to do when you start drawing people towards you that want to help execute your vision, that's a success. So whatever artistic projects or visions you're working on, I hope you're able to transform some existing skill set you have in your wheelhouse to make it come true. Thank you for joining us in the How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood podcast. Copyright by Showstoppers and FunnyFailureFilm.com Intro and outro song, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star by David Mumford Until next time, remember, mistakes makes art more interesting.